This is Dr. Baliga here. This podcast discusses hypertension in the cardio-oncology clinic. It's derived from several sources, including an outstanding uh, chapter by Dr. Lauren Hassan and Dr. Dan Lenihan in the October 2019 Heart Failure Clinics of North America. The key takeaways are hypertension is common in patients with cancer patients and survivors and it contributes to their elevated long-term risk of cardiovascular disease. Patients with cancer should undergo pre-treatment risk assessment to identify pre-existing hypertension and to help predict the risk of developing hypertension with therapy. Hypertension in patients with cancer and in cancer survivors should be defined and managed similarly to its management in the general population to reduce the risk of ventricular dysfunction and other forms of cardiovascular disease. Mortality rates from cancer have steadily decreased over the last 25 years, owed largely to both early detection and improvements in efficacy and specificity of cancer therapies. As of 2012, there were 13.7 million survivors of cancer living in the U.S., the number is projected to increase to 18 million by 2022. Prolonged survival from malignancies has led to increased scrutiny of the downstream effects of these cancer therapeutics. Cardiovascular toxicity is widely recognized as a possible consequence of many pharmacological agents used to treat cancers and cardiovascular disease is the leading non-malignant cause of morbidity and mortality in survivors of cancer. Patients may experience exacerbation of underlying cardiovascular disease or may develop new disease as a result of their therapy even decades later. Additionally, the use of multiple therapeutic agents in combination may create synergistic or additive toxic effects on the cardiovascular system. As a result, Pediatric and adult patients with cancer require risk factor assessment in advance of their therapy as well as close monitoring through the course of treatment and survivorship. Cardiotoxicity related to cancer therapies can arise in many different forms. Reported effects include high blood pressure, left ventricular dysfunction, ischemia caused by vasospastic and thromboembolic etiologies, QT interval prolongation, and a variety of cardiac arrhythmias. Toxicities can occur acutely, develop subclinically over time, or present themselves decades later. High blood pressure is the common comorbidity in reported cancer registries, and in fact may be higher in survivors of cancer than in the general population, in part as a result of shared pathways to cardiovascular disease and cancer. Definitions and epidemiology. The 2017 guidelines from the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association defines high blood pressure as systolic blood pressure of greater than 130 and or a diastolic blood pressure of greater than 80 millimeters of mercury. More specifically, a systolic blood pressure of 130 to 139 millimeters of mercury and or a diastolic blood pressure of 80 to 89 millimeters of mercury is defined as stage 1 hypertension, whereas 
uh, systolic blood pressure greater than 140 millimeters of mercury and or a diastolic blood pressure greater than 90 millimeters of mercury is defined as stage 2 hypertension. The blood pressure should be checked in both arms unless contraindicated by lymphedema or other impairments given that unilateral subclavian steel can be seen in patients treated with mediastinal or neck radiation. These guidelines encourage the use of ambulatory blood pressure monitoring as a means to avoid the diagnosis of a hypertension that is merely related to the medical setting. The National Cancer Institute also publishes common terminology criteria for adverse events. It grades the severity of hypertension occurring as an effect of anti-neoplastic therapies. Pediatric and adolescent criteria are defined also. The grading system is primarily used by oncologists to streamline the documentation of adverse events in the literature for normal therapies. The grading system includes five grades. Grade 1 is systolic blood pressure 120 to 139 millimeters of mercury or a diastolic blood pressure of 80 to 89 millimeters of mercury. Grade 2, systolic blood pressure 140 to 159 millimeters of mercury or a diastolic blood pressure of 90 to 99 millimeters of mercury if previously within normal limits. Change in baseline medical intervention is indicated. Recurrent or persistent grade 2 is, is when it's great, greater than 24 hours. Symptomatic increase by 20 millimeters of mercury of diastolic or to greater than 140 by 90 millimeters of mercury. In such patients, monotherapy is indicated. Grade 3, systolic blood pressure equal to or greater than 160 millimeters of mercury or diastolic blood pressure equal to or greater than 100 millimeters of mercury. In such instances, medical intervention indicated more than one drug or more intensive therapy than previously used is indicated. Grade 4 is life-threatening consequences, example malignant hypertension, transient or permanent neurologic deficit, or hypertension crisis. In such instances, urgent intervention is indicated. And grade 5 is death. This grading has been developed to record adverse events in cancer patients, particularly in relation to their chemotherapeutic agents. The incidence and prevalence of hypertension in adolescent and adult survivors of cancer is increased compared to the general population. In a retrospective study of more than 5,600 adolescent and young adult survivors of cancer, High blood pressure was identified in 11.4% of the patients, significantly higher than 7.4% of the patients with hypertension in the comparison group. In another study, which characterized the blood pressure status of more than 3,000 adult survivors of childhood cancers who were at least 10 years from diagnosis, the prevalence of hypertension in the study population was 2.6-fold higher among childhood survivors of cancer than expected based on age, gender, race, and body mass index specific rates. It should be noted that these studies predate the 2017 American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association blood pressure guidelines and therefore may underestimate the number of patients with high blood pressure 
because the recent guidelines include a more liberal definition of hypertension than that has been previously utilized. What are the causative agents of high blood pressure? Several different classes of antineoplastic agents have been linked to the development of high blood pressure in patients with cancers and in cancer survivors. These belong to four main classes and these include A. Vascular endothelial growth factor signaling pathway inhibitors B. Vinca alkaloids C. Platinum agents and D. Anthracycline Vascular endothelial growth factor signaling pathway inhibitors Angiogenesis, that is the formation of new blood vessels, is a necessary part of tumor growth. Therefore, inhibition of angiogenesis is an attractive target for the treatment of a variety of solid tumor malignancies. Therapeutics in this class exert their effects through inhibition of a component of the vascular endothelial growth factor, VEGF, signaling pathways, that is VSP. For example, monoclonal antibodies like bevacizumab and ramucirumab directly inhibit the attachment of VEGF to its target receptor via its ligand. By contrast, tyrosine kinase inhibitors hinder angiogenesis by inhibiting small molecules that would typically be activated by the attachment of VEGF to its receptor. Tyrosine kinase inhibitors include sanitinib, sorafenib, and pazopanib, among many others. VSP inhibitors likely cause cardiovascular injury through a number of different mechanisms. One such proposed mechanism is the suppression of the nitric oxide pathway. VEGF activation induces the expression of nitric oxide synthase in the endothelial cells which promotes vasodilatation. The inhibition of this pathway thus suppresses the nitric oxide pathway and induces hypertension. Increases circulating levels of endothelium 1, a potent vasoconstrictor is thought to contribute. Parallel losses of capillary circulation in both the tumor and non-tumor tissue is likely to play a role as well. Angiogenesis inhibitors are perhaps the class of antineoplastic agents of which an adverse effect of hypertension is most well established. Hypertension has been reported as an adverse effect for every available agent in addition to thromboembolic events, myocardial ischemia, left ventricular dysfunction, heart failure, and QT prolongation. One meta-analysis of 77 phase 3 and 4 clinical trials of 11 VSP inhibitors and using adverse event data found that they were significantly associated with a high risk of hypertension with an odds ratio of 5.28. This underscores the relationship that VSP inhibitors are also associated with a high risk of development of severe hypertension, which is defined by the authors as grade 3 or higher.
and with an odds ratio of 5.59. A recent study reported that pre-existing high blood pressure, age and body mass index identify patients at high risk for significant anti-VEGF therapy induced blood pressure elevation. It has been suggested that elevated blood pressure may be a clinical biomarker of efficacy of anti-VEGF ther therapies in malignancy. Hypertension is a common adverse event in patients who are treated with bevacizumab, serafenib and santinib. The reported incidence of hypertension ranges from 25% with santinib, serafenib and vandetanib to 40% with axitinib and pazopanib. Also, several case reports have described acute hypertensive complications of therapy including malignant hypertension and posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome with anti-VEGF therapies. The Cardiovascular Toxicities Panel of the National Cancer Institute recommends pretreatment risk assessment for patients for whom VSP inhibitors are a potential treatment option. Risk assessment should include repeated blood pressure measurements as well as history and physical examination and laboratory testing as indicated for specific risk factors that put the patient at higher risk for adverse outcomes from elevated blood pressure. Identifying individuals at higher risk allows for risk-benefit discussion between the patient and the provider as well as careful monitoring after starting the drug. Patients who are already hypertensive before starting therapy should have antihypertensives initiated, ideally achieving target blood pressures before VSP inhibitors are prescribed. The risk factors for adverse consequences of high blood pressure in patients prescribed VSP inhibitors include A. Systolic blood pressure equal to or greater than 160 millimeters of mercury or diastolic blood pressure equal to or greater than 100 millimeters of mercury. B. Diabetes mellitus. C. Established cardiovascular disease in, including any history of ischemic stroke, cerebral hemorrhage or TIA a history of mitral infarction, angina, coronary revascularization or heart failure, a history of peripheral vascular disease or retinal hemorrhages or exudates and papilledema. D. Established or subclinical renal disease including microalbuminuria or proteinuria greater than 30 mg per 24 hours, a serum creatinine in men greater than 1.5 mg per deciliter and in women greater than 1.4 mg per deciliter and a calculated or estimated glomerular filtration rate of less than 60 mls per minute for 1.73 square meter body area. E. Subclinical organ damage previously documented by EKG or echocardiogram revealing left ventricular hypertrophy or carotid ultrasound study re revealing wall thickening or plaque. The uh, presence of three or more of the following risk factors 
including age for men above 55 years or women greater than 65 years, cigarette smoking, dyslipidemia as measured by a total cholesterol greater than 190 mg per deciliter or an LDL cholesterol greater than 130 mg per deciliter or an HDL cholesterol in men less than 40 mg per deciliter and in women 46 mg per deciliter or a triglyceride of greater than 150 mg per de deciliter. Fasting or plasma glucose of greater than 100 mg per day. Family history of premature cardiovascular disease. A first degree male relative with, with an age less than 55 years or a first degree female relative with an age less than 65 years. Abdominal obesity in males with a waist circumference greater than 40 inches and in females greater than 35 inches. In persons of East Asian ancestry, the male waist circumference greater than 35 inches and for women greater than 31 inches. The second category of causative agents for hypertension includes vinca alkaloids. Vinca alkaloids alone or in combination with other drugs may cause hypertension. It has been suggested that these effects are due to caspase-mediated apoptosis and inhibition of endothelial cell proliferation. The third uh, group of causative agents include platinum agents. Platinum-based agents such as cisplatin have been linked with hypertension arising during therapy and decades afterward. A Norwegian study of survivors of testicular cancer found that patients treated with cisplatin had significantly higher rates of high blood pressure, that is around 50%, than both controls and those treated with surgery and or radiation alone. There seems to be a dose-response relationship as well with the trend toward higher rates of hypertension that is about 53% in those treated with cumulative doses greater than 850 milligrams per square meter. The mechanism of toxicity is not well described but may be related to the well-described nephrotoxic effects of platinum-based agents and direct toxicity of vascular endothelial cells possibly through an anti-VEGF-mediated mechanism. The fourth group of causative agents include anthracyclines. Anthracyclines such as doxorubicin and donorubicin are well known to cause cardiovascular disease, most commonly left ventricular dysfunction with varying chronicity. The available data do not overwhelmingly suggest that anthracyclines cause hypertension. However, hypertension seems to have a synergistic effect with anthracycline-induced cardiotoxicity, producing a higher risk of heart failure. Data from elderly individuals with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma suggested the presence of a synergistic effect between hypertension and doxorubicin therapy. A report from the Childhood Sur Cancer Survivor Study showed that although both cardiotoxic Treatments with hypertension were independently associated with increased risk of coronary artery disease or heart failure. The combination of these factors resulted in an additive effect that yielded an 86-fold increased risk of heart failure 
in survivors exposed to both anthracyclines and hypertension compared with neither factor. Therefore, hypertension should be aggressively managed in these patients before, during and after therapy with anthracyclines to help mitigate any additional risk of the development of left ventricular dysfunction. Impact of hypertension on cardiovascular risk As stated, survivors of cancer are at a high risk for cardiovascular disease and studies have shown that both adolescents and adult survivors are at a higher risk than comparison groups without cancer. Available data suggests that the presence of hypertension in survivors of cancer further increases this risk as does the presence of additional cardiovascular disease risk factors in an additive fashion. One paper has shown that presence of two or more conventional cardiovascular risk factors such as diabetes mellitus, hypertension or dyslipidemia in survivors of adult onset cancers portend the highest risk of cardiovascular disease when compared with those with fewer risk factors and or without cancer diagnosis. It has been well established that uncontrolled hypertension contributes development of heart failure over time and similarly that the control of hypertension can decrease this risk. The importance of adequate antihypertensive therapy is even greater in patients who have a history of treatment with cardiotoxic antineoplastic agents or who have received them in the past because the combined effects of hypertension and cardiotoxicity have been reported to exponentially increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. Management of high blood pressure in the cardio-oncology clinic. Blood pressure targets. Given that patients with cancer and survivors of cancer are more likely than controlled subjects to have hypertension, that is 65.9% versus 59.5% respectively, p-value of 0.01 and that this risk extends to more than 10 years after diagnosis, the management of hypertension requires a long-term approach. The SPRINT trial, that is the systolic blood pressure interventional trial investigators, found that treating to a target of 120 millimeters of mercury resulted in reduced mortality and major cardiovascular events when compared with the target of less than 140 millimeters of mercury, particularly in patients greater than 50 years of age with an increased cardiovascular risk as defined by the presence of clinical or subclinical cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, a 10-year risk of cardiovascular disease equal to or greater than 15% based on the Framingham risk score, or an age of equal to or greater than 75 years. As a result, a recent American Heart Association scientific statement suggested that aggressive blood pressure targets as endorsed by the American Heart Association American College of Cardiology blood pressure guidelines should be considered in survivors of cancer, particularly when left ventricular function is impaired or in patients on VSP inhibitors. 
There are also existing recommendations for patients with hypertension specifically resulting from VSP inhibitors by the Cardiovascular Toxicities Panel of the National Cancer Institute. This panel recommends a blood pressure target of 140 by 90 millimeters of mercury for hypertension patients on VSP inhibitors and also suggests an aggressive goal of 130 by 80 millimeters of mercury in patients with chronic kidney disease or diabetes mellitus. The Canadian Cardiovascular Society guidelines for evaluation and management of cardiovascular complications of cancer therapy have issued similar recommendations. Patients with blood pressures of 140 by 90 millimeters of mercury or higher or with increase in diastolic blood pressure of 20 millimeters of mercury or higher from baseline should either be initiated on antihypertensive therapy, have current therapy titrated to better control, or have another agent added. In general, the hypertensive effect of VSP inhibitors dissipates after the agent is discontinued, although this effect varies by the half-life of the drug. Because survivors of cancer are known to be at a high risk of cardiovascular disease, it may be prudent to consider a treatment target more in line with sprint findings, that is a blood pressure less than 120 by 80 millimeters of mercury for some patients. However, treatment goals will ultimately depend on the individual's comorbid conditions, tolerance of therapy, including propensity to hypotension and other considerations and are best determined by case by case basis. Many of the patients on uh, chemotherapy agents may have autonomic neuropathy and may have postural hypertension. In such patients, management of blood pressure needs to be titrated to the patient's needs. Selection of antihypertensive agents. No specific recommendations exist anti-hypertensive treatment class selection. Standard choices such as angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors, angiotensin 2 receptor blockers, calcium channel blockers, beta blockers and diuretics have been utilized. Drug selection is typically guided by the patient's comorbid conditions such as chronic kidney disease, diabetes or pre-existing cardiovascular disease such as coronary artery disease or ventricular dysfunction. Success has been reported treating VSP inhibitor induced hypertension using calcium channel blocker as single agent therapy. Medication interactions and Compatibility deserves special consideration in this population as well, particularly for those still undergoing anti-neoplastic therapy regimens. Of note, non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers inhibit CYP3A4 and should thus be avoided in patients receiving tyrosine kinase inhibitors such as suntinib and surafenib. Because suntinib therapy is associated with left ventricular dysfunction, it is best that angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, beta blockers, 
or aldosterone receptor blockers be considered for management of high blood pressure in these patients. One hypothesis generating study suggested that statin use may be associated with improved survival in patients with metastatic renal carcinoma treated in the targeted therapy era and that statins could represent an adjunct therapy for such patients. In summary, hypertension is common in patients being treated for cancer, particularly in patients with VSP inhibitors, and it contributes to their increased long-term risk of cardiovascular disease. Therefore, patients should undergo pre-treatment risk assessment to identify existing or pre-existing hypertension and to help predict the risk of developing hypertension with therapy. All patients and particularly those at higher risk warrant careful monitoring of blood pressure throughout their therapy and after its conclusion, incident hypertension and dyslipidemia should be defined and managed similarly to its management in the general population or one could argue more aggressively. The goal is to re reduce the risk of organ damage including ventricular dysfunction and, and other forms of cardiovascular disease particularly strokes and chronic kidney disease. This podcast is derived from an article titled Hypertension in the Cardio-Oncology Clinic. The lead author is Dr. Lauren J. Hassan, MD, co-authored by Dr. Daniel J. Lenihan, MD, and, and by myself. It's published in the October 2019 issue of the Heart Failure Clinics of North America, Volume 15, Issue 4, pages 435 to 574.